You know people sleepwalk, right? That happens. Do you know anybody who sleepwalks on a regular basis? When our son was about two, he used to sleep run. We used to, because, long story, he started to walk when he was nine months old, and he could climb out of his crib basically by nine months old, so there was no point in having a crib. So we bought this little bed. It was it was a funky little bed, tiny little mattress, not very high up off the floor, but he could get out. And when he was about, I don't know, one and a half, two, you'd wake up in the middle of the night and you'd hear, and it would be him running down the hall. And kind of at the end of the hall and around the corner in the house we were living in was a set of stairs. And we had the baby gates and stuff, but he was a sharp guy, uh, pretty athletic. So baby gates, I wasn't convinced they were going to be able to catch him. So I would jump out of bed and run down the hall. And usually I would catch him before he got into the kitchen. He never went down the stairs, nothing like that. And now he doesn't do that anymore. My wife used to sleepwalk, once took all of the Halloween candy and threw it out the side door when she was a kid. I've never sleepwalked, but last night I think I sleep unsubscribed to an app. Is that a thing? Do people do that? Does that happen? Sleep unsubscribing? Has anyone else had that happen? In a dream, now I'm being completely serious here. In a dream, there aren't too many things that I subscribe to on a monthly basis, but I had a monthly subscription to an app, and it was three bucks a month. Sorry, honey, you might be hearing this the first time. Um, And so I decided I'm not really using this, and I wanted to unsubscribe. And in my dream, I unsubscribed, and it caused a big problem because it cut a phone line with somebody who was down the street from us, and they came to our door, and they were all angry, and I didn't know what to do. I can't fix phone lines. So the dream kind of went out of control for a little bit. I woke up in the morning, and I remembered the dream, and I checked, and I had unsubscribed to the app. Is this a thing? Sleep unsubscription? If it is, I'm willing to start a support group because I seem to have it. At least I'm not sleep subscribing. That would be a little bit more dangerous, don't you think? You wake up in the morning and you have to check how much money you spent overnight. That would be a little dangerous. That would get me uh, not using my phone as an alarm. Anyway, let's move on to a little something else that's happening, courtesy of technology, that... Seems to be, I don't know, getting a little bit out of control. I don't know if you've heard about the Facebook group that is planning to march on. Some people have used the word storm now. But march on Area 51 in September. Now, this seems to have started off as a bit of a joke. But hundreds of thousands of people have signed up to this thing. That they want to meet up at Area 51 at 3 a.m., on September 20th, and kind of raid the place. And the idea is, if you can't, or if you could stop one person, you you can't possibly stop hundreds of thousands. It, it has been, in a way, again, kind of a joke, but I wonder where this is headed, because it seems to be really picking up steam. This is not a dream. This is not a nightmare. This does not involve sleepwalking of any kind. But Josh Elliott is a senior national online journalist with Global News and wrote a story about this and joins us now to talk about what is actually happening here. Josh, how are things going? 
Well, the story is really taking off. You know, I, I published it yesterday, and today we've seen more than a hundred thousand people join this group. People are really all over this. It's it's a really the internet at its best as people jump in on I mean, a massive inside joke that has really piqued everybody's curiosity. The headline says, let's see them aliens, and immediately that gets people reading down. Talk to us a little bit about what actually is taking place here. Well, that's the interesting thing. We're not sure exactly what will happen because this event is planned for September 20th in the middle of the night, really, at 3 a.m. actually in the morning, in the middle of the desert. So uh, the plan is, at least, to show up all at once, hundreds of thousands of people, around Area 51 and to basically run at it as fast as you can and try to get in this facility. That's what they say the plan is. Uh, but, it, I mean, this group is full of jokes and memes. It looks like it's not that serious, but there are some people who have bought tickets. It does look like some people might show up on that big day. So I'm not sure how it will turn out, but it's an interesting idea to engage with. So wait a minute. They've been selling tickets? Well, they're not selling tickets, but people have been posting photos of the plane tickets that they purchased. So some people are, are going to show up, I think. I just, I'm not sure how many. It's really going to come down to it on the day, I think. But if you're talking, as the story says, that 300,000 have shown up, do we have a, a total, running total right now as to how many have, have kind of signed on to this group? Yeah, so last I checked, we see 424,000 say they want to show up. Another, about the same amount, say they're at least interested in going. So, you know, even if a fraction of that many people actually follow through and appear on the site, it could be quite the site. That's just it. We're talking with Josh Elliott, Senior National Online Journalist with Global News, and we're talking about a Facebook group. How did you catch sight of this thing? Well, it's been going viral the last few days. Uh, you know, Google has started to really pick it up. If you look in the top search terms, everybody is searching Area 51. And I think there's always that mystery around this place, right? It's such a, it's such a place for conspiracy theories and, and ideas about UFOs and alien autopsies. So there's such a mystery around this place. And I think just the notion of getting this many people together and trying to go in and figure things out is, is not the craziest idea that has come out around uh, aliens. And just the power of the Internet, the power of, of kind of bringing people together, have you ever noticed anything like this in any way before? I've never quite seen something like this. Uh, you know, it is. It seems to be very driven by internet culture because if you're going, if you go through the discussion page on this group, everybody is using a lot of internet lingo, uh, referring to a lot of different pop culture things, sharing memes. Uh, it is. It's just bringing out curiosity and humor, and uh, everybody's going over the top of it. It's so unusual, but very much uh, the kind of thing you would expect in 2019. Have you seen any reaction from anyone in the United States other than people who are interested in, in maybe participating? Has, has anybody else stepped up saying, hey, 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 this is not a good idea? Well, I think one element of this whole story is people speculating about what the government response to this would be. You know, we haven't seen any actual response from any government entity about this, but uh, there are many people saying, you know, this, the, even though... You could have hundreds of thousands of people there. The military would probably make short work of those people if they really wanted to. Um, now, that's very unlikely to happen. But uh, I, think, I think people 
are really doubtful that this is going to come together or that it will be effective. But generally, it's it's an amusing thing, and we haven't really gotten to that point where they're concerned it will actually happen and it will result in casualties. I think it's it's a tongue-in-cheek joke that everybody is is jumping on board and enjoying right now. Well, it is set for 3 a.m. Of course, it would have to be 3 a.m., right? Yeah, you want to go in the cover of darkness. 3 a.m. Uh, you know, they've, they've really given a lot of heads up to the military as well, so uh, maybe they'll have some fortifications in place by then, or at least somebody out there to tell them to go away. <laughs> well, 3 a.m. on September the 20th, and right now, like you say, it's up over 400,000 people who have signed on or, or kind of at least expressed interest have joined this group. I love the, uh, the line from Nick D'Amico that you used, one of the Facebook users, so what's the parking situation going to be like? We carpooling? Yeah, you have a lot of people making little jokes about that. Carpooling, talking about bringing the snacks. Uh, maybe they can get it covered by Monster Energy Drink, bring on a sponsor. So people are really uh, diving deep on this and having a lot of fun with it. Well, thank you for bringing us up to date on where things sit. Josh, have yourself a fantastic end of the week. All right. Thanks, Mike. Josh Elliott, senior national online journalist with Global News. So up over 400,000 people. Now, again, it's tongue-in-cheek, but you have to think some out of a group of over 400,000 would not take it as tongue-in-cheek. Some of them regular wearers of tinfoil hats who would storm Area 51 if given the chance. How many of the 425 are going to show up? At least right now, it's middle of July. We're now talking September 20th. So we have over two months from now to wait, and maybe things will have died down. What if things have picked up by then? What then? Probably the reason that the government has not weighed in on this just yet is the fact that they're still dealing with the fact that Alexander Acosta has resigned and there's another hole in the Trump cabinet. They can't seem to keep people there. How many people have, have just kind of been put in place to fill spots? They got their own trouble. But the reason I will not be going to Area 51 on September 20th, 3 a.m., is Donald Trump. Do they not realize who the president is? How would he handle this if people actually showed up? I don't even want to know. Let's go to the phones. 519-643-2222. Maryland, happy Friday. Well, how are you today? Great. Well, you know, I think you're a wonderful husband and father, and I think that of Greg, too. I love the way you talk about your family, and I think it's beautiful. I love men who love their family. Love my family, Marilyn. Well, that is wonderful, because I love mine. Now, look here. I really take this um, alien business seriously. You do? I Oh, yes. I'm a Christian, but still, I think there's something out there. I'm not arrogant enough to think we're the only people. Anyways, I have a friend who has seen a flying saucer, who has been encountered by one. And uh, he's, you know, he's a, he's a very well-educated man, uh, sane, and, uh, you know, he t tells me he was coming home, I think, to Windsor and going through Shedden okay. that way. And he said this, uh, whatever it was, I'll call it a flying saucer, swooped down in front of his car about, I'd say, from what he said, about a half a block away. And he said it was, you know... It was a UFO. Did he tell you anything else about it? 
No, nobody got out or anything like that. But it swooped down, something came down, landed in front of him. Did he tell you how big it was? No, not landed. Swooped in front of him. Swooped. Swooped. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, okay. Didn't land, but kind of came in front of him and then took off again. Yeah, and then went on. But, uh, no, I believe him. I lived in the country for 43 years. No houses around, although there are now, unfortunately. But anyway, um, I used to sit out in the front veranda at night, and I saw all kinds of strange things in the sky. Well, Marilyn, I'm not going to say that there isn't no. anybody. I'm, I'm convinced somebody will land at some point and say, what have you guys been doing, you walking bundles of emotion? You haven't gotten anything done. And that's what I think, you know, we'll get, because they will have, have flown from far, far away to arrive here. We'll see. Marilyn, thank yeah, you for the story. Wanted, no, honey, I mm-hmm. just wanna, I want two things. Okay. All right. Number one, can I put my pillow in a dryer? Yes. And of what setting? Uh, I just put it on a regular tumble dry. I think medium, right. medium, or... Yeah, and it works. the same with the washing. Yes. Okay, and two, I want to thank... Richard, for going to all the trouble and going to the top to find out about uh, uh, Tyvin, Saskatchewan. I love this conversation that goes on between you and Richard that goes, you know, call by call. So, yeah, I will pass that on to him because guess what, Marilyn? Richard's going to be up next again. Oh, good. And look at um, uh, that's on my bucket list to visit my grandma's grave before I croak. Okay. So I want to visit her grave. In Saskatchewan. In um, Tyvon, Saskatchewan. Ask Richard if it's about the size of Lucan. Here, how about you ask Richard whether it is the size of Lucan. Richard, is it the size of Lucan? I think I may have lost Marilyn. Oh, anyways, I'm glad, right, that you're having this discussion. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I was calling in. The other day, Marilyn, right, I was a little caught off guard when you asked your question about Tyvon. So I went into my filing cabinet and I got my letter from Premier Scott Mole, the member from Rostron Shellbrook. Anyways, I'm going to read a quick paragraph here, Marilyn. Tyvan is an unincorporated community which is located on Highway 33, approximately 79 kilometers southeast of the city of Regina. Well, I've been down Highway 33 a couple of times, Maryland, and it's a relatively safe highway to travel. In other words, it's not loaded with potholes and etc. So that's exactly where it is. It's on Highway 33, you remember that, and it's approximately 79 kilometers southeast of Regina. But anyways, right, it's an unincorporated community. So to answer your question, Marilyn, no, it wouldn't be the size of Lucan. And I got one quick question for you, Mike, if you don't mind me asking this. Please. My, my wife is too shy to come on an open line show. She doesn't have a big mouth like Richard. But anyways, right, she wants to know her grandmother, right, was a Stubbs, and uh, that was her mother's mother, and they homesteaded right in the Nipawin, Saskatchewan area, which you know well because of the Humboldt Broncos. Her question to you is, do you have any distant relatives from that area, Mike, or no? I don't have any Saskatchewan relatives, so, but you never know. You know what? My dad has traced our genealogy way, way back. Here's what I'll do. I'll ask him. He'll know, and then I'll get back to you on that. Okay, and one last thing, you know, there's been a lot of talk, right, about a shortage, right, of alcohol on our shelves right here in the province of Ontario. Aren't we blessed, Mike, to live in a province and to live in a country where all we have to worry about is a shortage of booze 
on our shelves, where in a lot of other countries, they have to worry about a shortage of food. So I feel very blessed to live in this province, in this country, Mike. And on that note, you and Marilyn, you have a good afternoon. And Marilyn, I would be honored to meet you and Mike. But one thing, Marilyn, I do have a quick request of you. Before we meet, meet Mike, you make sure we have an agent all lined up, eh? <laughs> you have a good day, Mike. Richard, thank you. And thanks for that line. You know what? You're right. If that's all we have to deal with, we're we're pretty lucky whether or not we have a shortage of alcohol. And I'm glad Richard brought that up because we're going to talk about that in about three minutes from now based on something that Warren Smokey Thomas, the president of OPSU, said. Here's why Richard was talking about getting an agent. He and Marilyn have a few weeks to do it. I want to have Richard and Marilyn in studio, and we'll find out more about them because they have become superstars of our airwaves here in London. We're lucky to have the two of them. Before we go to break, Ron, your thoughts. Hey, Mike. Hey. I have, you know that question when you have um, friends that ask you what planet you're from? Yes. I tell them I'm from Zatar. And why do you tell them you're from Zatar? Because I'm not from Earth. <laughs> but anyway, I love it. and then I and then I fall in in my kazoo <laughs> imitation. But anyway, yeah. But uh, you know what? I sent you an email. You don't need to read it on air now. Okay. Um, I said they were planning a trip to Area Fifty One. Man, Art Bell called and he wants it back. <laughs> Where is Art Bell when you need him? Oh, well, you know what? I think a lot of his followers are going to be in the desert on September 20th at 3 a.m. I'm fascinated to see how many people show up and what the U.S. reaction is. Yeah, the guy made a living on paranoia and phenomenon, Yeah, right? Really? For years he did that talk show overnight. Absolutely. And I think he's dead now, but yeah, he, he, he got rich talking about UFOs and Area 51. And, and I think and he started in stuff. basically a, a tiny little motor home, or maybe it was even a, a tiny little trailer, and it just it took off. Yeah. Hey, Ron, have a great weekend. Later. Bye-bye. Let's take a break. I do want to get to that story about the LCBO, because this morning, if you missed it, Devin Peacock, in for Craig Needles this week, was talking with... Smokey Thomas, president of OPSU, and they were talking about shortages, and all of a sudden, Devin got Smokey Thomas to give just a a suggestion of what might be taking place here. And if you didn't hear it, well, we'll play it for you in just a couple of minutes, because it's a little out of this world. But at the same time, maybe a lot of us are falling into exactly what certain individuals want us to. We'll give you details. Hang around. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It's a day of wondering so far. I'm wondering whether I sleep unsubscribed to an app. At least I didn't sleep subscribed to anything. If I get a magazine in the mail, I'm going to start wondering. Someone's going to have to watch me while I sleep. Uh, We may talk in depth about sleep a little later on on the show, but... Up next, what we're going to do is go back in time a little bit, because earlier this week we were talking about the LCBO, and I've, I've never been a, an enormous fan of it, to tell you the truth. Uh, I think a lot of money's wasted in making the stores look like they do. I'm not impressed by the dividends that are given to the province by the LCBO. I think, I think those numbers could be bigger. Uh, If you break it down, even in Alberta, and you go per capita, if my numbers are correct, and nobody's told me they're not, I broke it down, and per person, per capita, they are making 
more. And they have a private system. And I'm not saying private system is the way to go. I think it was Richard once who described Saskatchewan's system and, and how it's kind of a hybrid. But it's time to maybe take a look at it. And when Smokey Thomas, the president of OPSU, was on the Craig Needle show this morning with Devin Peacock, he was talking about that. And in fact, raised a bit of a theory that maybe that's exactly what we're supposed to be thinking. Maybe that's what someone wants us to think. And we'll take you back to that conversation because what I found Smokey Thomas saying was fascinating. And it did make sense. Maybe, you know, in a tinfoil hat sense, sure, but it did make sense. And so we'll go back to that conversation after news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Just got a hockey-related email from Rob. Rob says, hey, Mike, have you heard about any offer sheets coming in the National Hockey League? I thought we were supposed to see all kinds of offer sheets this summer, and there's only really been one. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not close enough to a lot of situations to know whether there are any coming, but here's, here's maybe what I think about that. You only really find out about an offer sheet in two ways. One, if a player signs the offer sheet. So here's here's what's going on in the National Hockey League. There are lots of really, really good restricted free agents. So guys that can't just up and leave if they want to. There are rules preventing that from happening. So you're a restricted free agent. You don't have a contract, but you can't really play anywhere else. However, a team can offer you a contract for any amount of money. And if you sign that, and your team says, you know what, that guy's not worth that much money, forget about it, see you later, then you can go and play for that team, and the other team gets compensation for you. So that's what happens. So I think, you know, the only way you find out about offer sheets is, A, if a player signs a sheet, that happened. A guy named Sebastian Aho in Carolina signed an offer sheet with the Montreal Canadiens. The Carolina Hurricanes said, no, he's really good, and you know what, that's not a bad offer. Uh, we're going to accept that and we'll we'll match it and that's okay he's going to stay with us the only other way you'd find out about it is if a team offered a sheet and the player didn't sign and it would take the gm blabbing that to somebody i don't think that's going to happen so if there have been offer sheets maybe somebody gave you know an offer sheet to one of the restricted free agents out there brayden point it's a couple former knights in matthew kachuk mitch marner Maybe it wasn't one that they liked. Maybe they didn't feel it was enough. So maybe that's what's happened. Or GMs are just being quiet, and we'll see if those teams, the Maple Leafs for Marner and Tampa Bay for Braden Point and Matthew Kachuk for the Calgary Flames, we'll see whether they can get them under contract by the start of the season. Otherwise, you'll see player holdouts, and it'll create all kinds of missing spaces in lineups. If you go to liquor stores in Toronto... In the Durham area, you can find spaces. You can find spaces all over the place. They are having a horrible time with supply. And we talked about this earlier this week. And I wondered aloud whether it was time to really take an in-depth look at the LCBO and whether this is actually the way to go when it comes to selling liquor and spirits in the province of Ontario. And this comes up time and again. There was a really interesting conversation 
on the Craig Needle Show this morning between Devin Peacock, who's in for Craig this week, and Smokey Thomas, the president of OPSU. And Smokey Thomas got talking about what has apparently created these shortages, the delivery problems. It's a system that has gone into a warehouse in the Durham area. And that system allows for forklifts that have no drivers on them, so we're talking about robotic forklifts, to go around and grab what is being ordered and the orders are processed. And So this system was tried out, and Smokey Thomas pointed out that his workers were telling him it doesn't work. And that it got to the point where workers were saying, hey, uh, this isn't working. And we're told, yeah, but we're rolling it out. And they rolled it out. And lo and behold, it's not working very well. Deliveries are not being met. Uh, There's, again, all kinds of missing pieces in liquor stores. People go in to find stuff. And it's not the fault of the employees in any way. So Smokey Thomas talked about that for a little while. And then... Devin asked him a question, and I want to take you back to that question and the answer that Smokey Thomas gave. Here is Smokey talking with Devin Peacock on the Craig Needle Show this morning. What's the reason for doing it now? Yeah, well, to me, now call me paranoid, right? But uh, the Tories have a long history going back to Mike Harris, as do the Liberals. If you want to get rid of something the government runs, what you do is you cut back on it, you make it dysfunctional, and then you go and say, oh, it doesn't work, so we got to, uh, we got to close it or get rid of it or contract it out. They did the, you know, the same kind of when they wanted to close small community jails. They cut the beds in half, and then there's a thing called what it costs per day to have an inmate. Though, of course, those costs went up because you had the same staff, same building, same heat, and they said, oh, they're too expensive and started closing them. So my, my, my paranoid mind, you know, suspicious mind, tells me that there's something uh, bigger at play here. You know, you've got... Uh, As in selling off, uh, privatizing the LCBO? Y- yeah, well, just the... Uh, like, there's a lot of money to be made in distribution, right? And, uh, you know, he's got... Uh, uh, his One of his former transition people is, uh, you know, helped when he took over in government, has now gone off and uh, has become a, a lobbyist, and they're lobbying on behalf of a, an alcohol retailer from Alberta called Alcana. And I know that they've been uh, sniffing around here in Ontario quite a while. So there's a lot of, we put out press release before on how closely uh, linked uh, this Alcana is with, uh, with the Ford government. And, there, and actually, I just saw that Democracy Watch has called for, uh, you know, for the uh, Integrity Commissioner to take a look at Alcana and take a look at all this kind of stuff. So some people are, you know, they're, they're paying attention out there. And I think there's a lot of questions. And whether you're for privatization or against it, it's, we're still taxpayers and it's still our money. And when a government wastes it on, on privatizing something that works fine, I mean, I get they want more convenience, beer and wine and corner stores. That's okay. The government's still going to make some, you know, they're going to make some tax revenue off it. And uh, But, you know, to do these sorts of things and, and uh, go down the road they're going with the LCBO, they're basically giving away a publicly owned asset for next to nothing. And frankly, the taxpayers should have got something for it, right? Should have got something, some meaningful money for it. The LCBO is probably worth something in the order of $30, $35 billion. Um, like if you were to put it on the market and sell it, it's a, worth a tremendous amount of money. And now he's nickel and diamond and giving it away for free. That is Smokey Thomas, president of OPSU. So his thought, and he points to what was done in jails by reducing the number of beds and then saying, oh, look at the overhead. 
that that might be, and, and he's not saying this is what's happened. He's not accusing the Ontario government of doing this, but he's saying this might be what's taking place, where you try and make something not run well, and then all of a sudden everybody says, hey, this, this is terrible. Uh, we got to have a better system. That was what I was saying the other day. Am I falling right into the trap? Maybe that that's what they want in Ontario. So this is the way you go about doing it. You put in a system that doesn't work and then you just let people get upset and then they're more on your side. I mean, that's that's going a long way. Like I said, this may take a bit of a, a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, but is it plausible? Well, as Smokey had said earlier in the interview, his people were looking at the situation and saying, yeah, this isn't going to work. This whole new warehouse stuff that you have, uh, this IT stuff that you're putting in, it's not working. And yet they decided to roll it out anyway. So what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just say, okay, well, that's, that's, that's fine, no problem. Uh, or do you try and, and figure it out another way? It's, it's difficult to know. Exactly what is at play, but Smokey Thomas made the connection between the Doug Ford government and a worker, a staffer that had been there from the start, who now is kind of maybe taking a look in a different direction. Bob, you love theories like this. How do you read this? Well, with all this talk about the shortage of liquor on the shelves throughout Ontario, it sounds like uh, Canadians have a drinking problem. (laughs) (laughs) no but on a serious no no i think we have seen sales go up legitimately we have seen sales go up statistically over the last few years oh sure yeah well you know it's uh it's a big market big money and i think he's on to something there you know uh, they did it with hydro too didn't they they sold what did they sell off 60 percent to the public or to the private sector so yeah, you can see it coming. They're they're gonna they're gonna you know disintegrate this this uh, you know I don't know government entity, and they're gonna sell it to the private sector. And you know with the robotics, it's pretty clear that there's another piece of technology that's taking jobs away from from people who need a job, right? Uh, they do actually have been doing it in the automotive sector for a, lo- a lot of years in the factories, right? They have the uh, robots that pick up the parts. Mm-hmm. And this this sounds like a very similar thing where a yeah. forklift goes around, reads the order, picks up the stuff, and it winds up getting shipped. Yeah, it does. And you know, I don't know if it, if the private sector takes over if it's going to be run more efficiently. Uh, but I can probably say that the prices will get jacked up a little bit. I mean, they're pretty expensive now, but uh, everybody wants to make the money on something like this and. I don't know. It would uh, it would help selection if you look at other privatized provinces. Alberta is a good example. It would help selection, and by my crunching yeah. of numbers, Alberta actually brings in more money per person in alcohol sales that goes back to the government than what Ontario does right now. So it'll be interesting. Bob, i got to run along. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, Mike. We'll take a quick break. Up next, you plan to sleep this weekend? A lot of people were wakened at 3 in the morning by the Amber Alert the other night. That needs to happen. And I think we need to get over the fact that, oh, I got, I got pulled out of my sleep. But in a moment, we're going to talk with somebody about what you can do to sleep your best. Does REM sleep matter? Does deep sleep matter? On fitness trackers, you can measure those things. How much does that matter? How will you get the best out of your weekend sleep? 
that is coming up. Dr. Michael Antle joins us from the University of Calgary in two minutes. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. How are you sleeping these days? You hear me talking about my pillow all the time. Well, how about if we look at overall things that you should be doing in order to sleep right so you can take advantage of what's coming at you this weekend. Dr. Michael Antle is a professor of psychology at the University of Calgary. Dr. Antle, how was your sleep last night? I had a great sleep last night. <laughs> do you have a great sleep most nights knowing as much as you do about sleep? Uh, usually it depends on uh, external factors like my kids. So <laughs> when they sleep, I sleep. Um, so that's uh, ex- external sources of insomnia. Uh, so they're getting better at sleeping, so I'm getting better night's sleep now. Good, good. Well, there was an interesting article in the New York Times, and it talked about some people who you would see as being quite successful. One being Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, who says he gets up a little before 4 a.m. every day. It quoted comedian Steve Harvey, and he said rich people don't sleep sleep eight hours a day, and it, it kind of went through and it had a number of different individuals pointing at how little they slept. Um, when you hear that people are not sleeping seven, eight hours a day, what's your reaction? Well, the, the evidence tells us that for an adult, a um, healthy adult, it should be between seven and nine hours. The average is about eight. It, there is a range. Um, so there are some people who do fairly well with, uh, with six. When you get below that, um, most people, even these people who are saying they get, a, get away with less, are probably not as healthy as they should be. Um, so it's, it's very uncommon to see somebody who can function optimally with just four hours of sleep. Now, are are there exceptions? Could there be those people who, you know what, their body, for whatever reason, does what it needs to in a very short amount of time overnight? Uh, well, there is variability uh, out there, for sure. Um, but uh, to get down to four hours, I don't think you're seeing that naturally. Uh, and there probably are some consequences um, that are going on with these people. So typically what is happening? We might have weird dreams about chasing around giant bowling balls or a tiger <laughs> coming at us in the forest or whatever. That's, that's kind of going on for us. But what is happening within the body during the night? So um, it's been said that if, if uh, sleep didn't serve a purpose, it's evolution's greatest mistake because we spend a third of our life asleep. So it's got to be doing something important, and it's probably doing a number of things. Um, there's really good evidence coming out that it's important for memory formation. So if you are studying during the day or learning a new job or learning a new sport, uh, it's, uh, those memories are solidified in your brain while you're sleeping. So they take place uh, overnight. If you're not getting enough sleep, you actually have consequences for, for uh, poor memory. A new one that's come out is uh, something called the glymphatic system. It's a hard word to say. It's kind of like a lymphatic system for your brain. And what this does is it's like a waste management system, and uh, it only runs about 10% um, function during the daytime. At sleep, it's going full speed, and this clears out all the toxins that build up during the day, a lot of the proteins that are associated with um, Alzheimer's disease. So you're seeing increased uh, rates of of, uh, these sorts of diseases if you're not getting enough sleep because that system doesn't get enough time to to basically wash your brain uh, overnight. Interesting. Um, yeah, nighttime is when your body secretes growth hormone. This is important for uh, for young kids, so they can grow their bodies. Also important for you and I, just to uh, repair the body from uh, the little bits of damage that you get from just going about your normal daily life during the daytime. 
We're talking with Dr. Michael Antle, professor of psychology at the University of Calgary, looking at sleeping and how we do it better. If you were going to recommend doing it better, we always hear things like, well, you make sure the room is dark and make sure that you're going to bed really, really earlier. Everybody's got their little suggestions. Right. Are any of those worth their weight in gold? Or again, does it come down to figure out what works best for you? Well, the two you mentioned are, are two of the ones that, that uh, there's really good evidence for. Um, of course, you've got to figure out what works for you, and it's a little bit different for everybody. But the biggest one for, for me, uh, and I know for people who are trying to get their kids to sleep well, is, uh, is routine. Stick to the same routine. Uh, if you go to bed at the same time, whatever time that is for you, uh, you're going to be able to fall asleep better and get up at the same time. And this includes on the weekends. So <laughs> if you're sleeping healthy during the week, during the work week, then you should not have to sleep in on the weekends. Um, the other one, yeah, keep your room uh, cool and dark. Uh, this time of year, this is the, we have our longest days this week. Uh, Friday is the summer solstice, so we're going to get uh, uh, an amazing amount of sunlight. Here in Calgary, we actually, the, the sun... It, doesn't really get far enough below the horizon that it gets true night uh, here this week. So it, it's quite bright. So you need good curtains, good blinds. Uh, use your bedroom only for sleep. Uh, you don't want to sit there um, playing video games, watching TV, um, uh, Facebooking. Um, those sorts of activities will uh, make your, your bedroom less of a signal for going to sleep. Um, regular exercise helps. Avoiding um, coffee and alcohol, um, uh, large meals right before bedtime. Uh, myself, my rule is I don't have coffee after after lunchtime. Um, if I have coffee in the middle of the afternoon, I find it actually hurts my ability to fall asleep. Some people can do fine with an afternoon coffee, but uh, for me, uh, it doesn't work. So you got to find out what works for you. Uh, and uh, keeping those electronics out of the bedrooms is uh, really important uh, these days. Um, the light from them uh, affects your circadian clock, but even just the arousal. Uh, some people, it's almost like an addiction with their, their devices, and, and that's uh, waking up your brain at a time that you're supposed to be calming your brain down. Dr. Michael Antle joining us, professor of psychology at the University of Calgary. As we talk about sleeping, you mentioned that circadian clock, and you mentioned the fact that sometimes we have longer days, sometimes we have shorter days, depending on what time of the year it is. In the winter, it can sometimes be so difficult to get out of bed. I don't know about these people that pop up at 4 a.m. It's usually <laughs> dark then all the time, but, but how much of an effect can that have, the, the idea of light waking you up? Well, light is important. There's actually some really cool new alarm clocks that uh, they have a light that comes on to simulate natural sunrise um, for you, uh, especially if you're not getting that kind of light. It's an important signal for your clock, and that morning light is really important for people, uh, for humans. Uh, that's the most important light for us. Um, in the in the wintertime, if you don't get enough light, you know, here in Calgary, uh, we barely have any daylight, and I'm commuting to work in the dark, and I'm in a windowless office all day long, and then commuting home at the end of the day, so I don't get any natural light. And that leads to increased rates of something called seasonal affective disorder. So um, this is uh, the winter depression that comes on. So you can uh, try to stave that off by uh, giving yourself light therapy, even just by going out for a nice walk outside. If you have windows, open up those blinds to let that natural light in. Um, they do have uh, light boxes uh, that you can use while you're having your breakfast or reading the morning paper that give you that, that bright light that uh, is important for staving off that winter depression. All right. Any other tips that you can share with us, or is it just a matter of be disciplined, make sure you're getting your sleep? Yeah, and listen to your body. So if you're not feeling good during the day, I mean, if you don't get enough sleep, you're going to be irritable, you're going to be lethargic, you're going to be fatigued, um, you're going to um, be more moody, increase stress, uh, decrease coordination and attention. All those things are a sign that you probably aren't getting enough sleep.
Good stuff. Dr. Andel, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Dr. Michael Andel from the University of Calgary on Sleeping Better. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live when we return. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up on London Live, something that's happening this weekend, something that is happening next weekend, and something you can do either weekend or really not at all. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If we go into this weekend, there's an awful lot going on as usual, but this weekend, this weekend you need to go someplace that hopefully you have been before, but maybe not. And if you haven't, then it's high time you get there. Bacon Fest. Can you hear it sizzling? I can't do a good impression of bacon sizzling, but if you picture it in your head, you can hear it sizzling. And if you can hear it sizzling, you can smell it. Nothing beats bacon. I don't know what it is that attracts us so much, but something does, and we're happy to have with us the mayor of Luke and Bidolf, Kathy Berghardt Jessen, to talk about Bacon Fest, which is happening this weekend in spite of some pretty difficult circumstances. Uh, mayor Berghardt Jessen, thanks so much for being with us on London Live. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. I'm always happy to talk with you. How close did you come to not having Bacon Fest this year? Well, you know, certainly there were some obstacles put in our way um, the beginning of April, but really two days after a, a devastating fire that took out a Main Street business that is a partner in our Bacon Fest Activities. Um, we all got together and said, you know what, rise from the ashes and business as usual. And, um, you know, it's going to look a little different than it's been in the past, but I'm very pleased to say that the partnership between Hogtown Cycles and the municipality of Luke and Bedolf goes on, and we are gearing up, putting tents up and signs and barricades um, today, uh, getting ready to welcome... 30,000 people to our little town tomorrow. That's amazing. <laughs> Happening in Lucan over the weekend, Bacon Fest. So for anybody who has not heard the sizzle, has not come and, and crunched the crunch, uh, what exactly happens at Bacon Fest? So we um, advertise it as everything bacon and bikes, and it's a celebration of uh, motorcycles. We have uh, motorcyclists, enthusiasts, from all across the province come to uh, Lucan for the day. Um, and, uh, you know, they do what motorcyclists do. They come to town, they park their bike, and um, uh, you can walk the streets and look at all these different bikes. And then we've got activities and tons and tons of food. Uh, lots of food vendors, lots of artisans, um, and lots and lots of activities. So it's just like any festival that... Um, any, you know, town in Ontario uh, hosts during the summer. Now, with bacon being the theme, how does it get woven into things? What kinds of bacony type delights can people expect? Well, you, there is. I don't even know where to begin. Um, this year, it's funny, a lot of our food vendors are holding close to their vest. Um, what offerings they are going to be bringing because we do have a food competition uh, that uh, all the food vendors participate in and it's a judge competition. So I've not heard a lot, but there's bacon jalapenos, like bacon-wrapped jalapenos, there's bacon poppers, there's bacon 
uh, candy, uh, caramel corn, there's bacon popcorn, there's bacon butter tarts. And actually, I just tasted a bacon chocolate chip cookie. Um, so that was a nice treat to have, and I'm sure that they will sell out. And then, of course, there's your pulled pork sandwiches, your back bacon sandwiches, and then burgers with bacon on them, bacon burgers, uh, you name it, um, vendors have it. We're talking with Kathy Burkhardt Jessen, Mayor of Luke and Biddulph Township. We're talking about Bacon Fest, which kicks off. Is there a time tomorrow morning that we can uh, arrive? 10 a.m. That's when uh, we have our opening ceremonies on Main Street, and we have a blessing of the bikes, which is a tradition in the motorcycle world. Um, but that's when things really kick off, um, 10 a.m. Uh, we shut down Main Street, and uh, that's when the entertainment start and the buskers start, and um, the kids' zone opens up, and, of course, then all of the other things that go along with that. And as I say, we've got lots of entertainment. The Legion hosts two bands during the day. There's busker stages throughout town. Uh, we've got a stunt show ride of uh, these really, really cool motorcycles. They put on three shows during the day. Um, and then there's stuff, of course, at the Hogtown site um, that uh, will certainly pique everybody's interest. Our good friends at Country 104 will be there as well. I know they're presenting some music tomorrow night, so there's some yes, good country music. Yes, we are so excited to have partnered with your sister station. Um, we are thrilled that the doors for the concert open at 6 p.m. And for $25 today, the price goes up to $30 tomorrow, uh, River Junction Band, which is a Lucan band, Buck 20, East Adelaide, and our headliner, Eric Etheridge. And, uh, you know, rural Ontario loves country music, and we're just thrilled to be able to be hosting that tomorrow night. Outstanding. Kathy, do you have to put in a special request, or do your vendors have to put in special requests to get enough bacon? I, I can't imagine how you, you can't just go to the grocery store and say, okay, we'll take your bacon. You'd be out in no time. No, if you talk to the food vendors, it is quite interesting um, that they do uh, months in advance. Uh, we'll have to work with their food suppliers to make sure that they've got enough bacon, pork, or whatever that it, whatever it is that they are offering. Um, and uh, it's fascinating just to see how much there is. Well, it sounds like an absolute blast. I think we can almost smell the bacon starting to cook from here, and that's never a bad thing. Do you, do you go home at the end of the day and smell like bacon, do you find? Oh, my goodness. Well, see, and I'm one of the judges for this food competition. And, um, you know, I mean, each year it gets bigger and bigger, so there's more uh, dishes for me to try. Um, and, uh, yeah, by the end of the day, I've had enough bacon, and I certainly, I certainly do, uh, do smell like side bacon that's for sure <laughs> it's not a bad smell though that is not no, a bad smell no, and no. it will be a great time this weekend mayor berg hard jess and you have fun judging you have fun being there and uh, can't wait to see thirty thousand people packed in well you know you know i love my community and this is a favorite day of mine it's always a great day when you can welcome people to your community and put your best foot forward and I have to congratulate my residents because it's not easy for a, a town of 2,800 people to, um, you know, put put it to welcome 30,000 people for the day. But everybody jumps on board and it's all hands on deck and uh, we can hardly wait for tomorrow to start. Well, and you've turned what was a pretty tragic situation into a pretty successful weekend. Yep, so congratulations. Exactly. Yep. Thanks very much. Have a great day. Have a great okay. weekend. Yep. Thanks, Mike. That is Kathy Berghard Jessen, mayor of Lucan Bidolf Township. Of course, they had a fire at Hogtown Cycles and 
they're one of the main partners. And that was a lot of the questions that were coming in instantly to our newsroom. Will there be Bacon Fest this year? And the answer at that point was nobody's quite sure. But once again, we've seen it in so many communities. When something bad happens, what happens? People step up. And that's exactly what's happened there. So there will be Bacon Fest. It will happen this weekend. We are going to talk a little later on this hour with Sanjay Saran, lead singer of Delhi to Dublin, because next weekend the Home County Folk Festival kicks off in London, Ontario, and Delhi to Dublin is going to be playing. They've got a great story, and Sanjay will share that with us, and then you can get out and see them next weekend. But we're going to invite Jake Jeffrey into the studio in just a moment, and we're going to talk some soccer. FC London is home. Two matches this weekend. The men's side plays tonight. The women's side plays on Sunday. And Ian Campbell has has really been in a great position to appreciate what is happening in the sport of soccer in Canada. Not just in this area where we've got some dynamite players, but certainly in Canada. And what we're now developing in terms of pathways, not all the way to the premiership or, you know, not all the way to some of the top leagues necessarily. That's like making the NHL and then some, but certainly to high levels of soccer. And it's been amazing to see what's been put in place. FC London was one of those cornerstones from the beginning. We'll talk with Ian about that next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. FC London in action tonight on the men's side at the German-Canadian Club Stadium Field. They'll be taking on Woodbridge Soccer. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, Wimbledon continues on. The second men's semi features Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. And Roger Federer is closing in on a victory. If you look at these two tennis stars head-to-head they have played this is the 40th match they played against each other and Rafael Nadal is 24 and 15 he doesn't own Roger Federer but that's pretty significant that's almost two of every three but Roger Federer won the first set 7-6 in a tie break Nadal bounced back won the second set 6-1 Federer came back from there 1-6-3 and Federer right now is up 4-2 in the fourth set so he's closing in on the Wimbledon final he would face Novak Djokovic on Sunday and something very interesting could happen tomorrow Serena Williams could win her 24th Grand Slam title, and that would tie her with Margaret Court, who played in the 60s and the very early 70s for most Grand Slam titles ever at 24. So tomorrow, Serena Williams faces Simona Halep in the women's final, and that's the storyline to watch for. Halep is playing in her first ever Wimbledon final. We mentioned FC London at home this weekend. The women's side plays at home at the German-Canadian Stadium Field on Sunday afternoon. And the men's side takes on the Woodbridge Strikers tonight. Soccer is really, really developing an interesting system. You know, it's almost like, you know, the picture of of all of the galaxies when they kind of pan back, pan back in, in the simulation. And, and it looks like this, this just spider-webby substance. That's what we've got going on right now in what is happening in soccer, where it used to be that, yeah, you had minor soccer and you might play a little bit. You've got high school soccer and you might play a bit. But in terms of club soccer, 
the fabric wasn't there. But it's really been developing to the point we've now brought in the Canadian Professional League. We still have League One Ontario, which can now feed into that. And we've got some dazzling stars in this area. A lot on the women's side, a couple on the men's side as well. Ian Campbell is the CEO of FC London. And joining us as he walks in studio right now is Jake Jeffrey. Jake and I will be hosting Sunday Sports at noon this Sunday, and we'll be outlining soccer and what's happening. You'll hear from Kyla Novak. You will also hear from Roop Chanderdad, who just won his 300th game with the London Majors. We'll talk some London Knights, so that's on Sunday at noon. But Jake, thanks for popping in here to talk some soccer with Ian. And Ian, thank you for being here. You had two home matches this week. Not bad. You don't have to go far at all. It's always nice. Uh, a lot of the teams this year are in Ottawa, Pickering, Whitby direction. So, yes, it's nice to stay home. Let's look at kind of the landscape of soccer and how things have been growing. League One Ontario is something that you joined not too long ago, and you've had great success with both the men's side and especially the women's side as well. When you look at the introduction of the CPL, when you look at where soccer is headed in Canada, what do you see? You know, I, I see a bit of a renewed direction. Uh, you know, for years, <clears throat> you know, at TFC and uh, Vancouver and Montreal, that, but there was a big, there was a big leap uh, from even from League One, which is a very high level league, to go from there to pro. Uh, it was a big leap, and um, I think CPL is bridging that gap. We're already seeing a number of players in CPL being called up uh, for to the professional ranks. And, um, and a lot of our players um, originally tried out with CPL teams earlier this year, got great response. We're told to maybe uh, sit in CPL or sorry, sit in League One for more, one more year and, um, and then try again. So I, 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 think, um, I think CPL's done a great job of starting to, to build that pathway, which we can now brag of all across the province and all across the country goes kind of from seven and eight year olds all the way through to a, a potential professional career. Well, that pathway you mentioned, that, that was the first thing that came to mind for me. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's great for the, the big club. It's great for the CPL. It's great for you guys. But it seems top to bottom, it sort of it, it helps that development. And it shows that there is a carved out path. Yeah, if you want to get there, you got to do this, 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 and you can be on your way. Yeah, absolutely. It was a little haphazard before. People were hopping on planes and going over to, over to Europe because that was really the only opportunity for them. But there's been a number of things that have changed. Jason DeVos, who I think we all know is a, hmm. a local... Um, local soccer guy who's really been involved uh, not only at the grassroots level, but uh, also at the professional level. And now is really heading things from a strategic direction uh, for Canada soccer. And we're already seeing great results um, on the field, um, both on the women's side and the men's side. Ian Campbell joining us, Chief Executive Officer of FC London. As we look at the soccer landscape, we'll look at FC London as well in just a moment. But Ian, when when you look at the path that it's taking, does it mirror what is happening in other European countries? Is that kind of the the map that is being used, the blueprint? It really is the blueprint, um, Mike. It, it, it's something that... Um, uh, players are being uh, streamed, I, I guess would be the right term, that uh, if you're a real keener and you want to start training four nights a week, there's a there's a, a pathway for you to do that. There's a curriculum laid out by Ontario Soccer and Canada Soccer as to how to train elite-level athletes and, and keep them within that stream. And let's face it, that's only for the 1%. And just like hockey, the, the, the odds are stacked against you uh, to, to go to the professional ranks. However, there is a pathway. And um, not only does that pathway uh, the, the, uh, mirror the European on, on the elite side, but I think they've also done a great job at the Canada Soccer and Ontario Soccer level of also 
generating a lot of hype and buzz in and around the recreational side of soccer and making sure that it's accessible for players regardless of their age and, and, and regardless of, the, of their talent level. Well, and one thing that sort of really intrigues me watching uh, soccer from from a national level, at least in Canada, is you know it's one of the few sports that come to mind when I think of it, where the you know the, the women's team at a national level just not necessarily outperforms the men's team, but as far as the the top rankings go, they're right with the best of the best, and the men's team just isn't at the moment. Is that something that you you notice seeing when you you see young girls signing up for FC soccer? Have you seen that growing in popularity or anything like that? Yeah, our, our girls' side has been very strong. I, mm-hmm. I think there's something in the London, Ontario water on the women's side because, as you know, both Shalima Zadorsky and uh, Jesse Fleming played with the national squad in the Women's World Cup in France just uh, just a month ago um, and, and did very well on field, Jesse scoring a goal. Uh, we also have Kyla Novak, who's uh, from St. Thomas. She's played with the FC London program for a number of years, and she yesterday scored a goal against England in, uh, in some U-20 games, um, at, again, at the national level. So, um, um, it, we do see a lot of enthusiasm, um, and, uh, and and we continue to really fuel that on the women's side as well. Ian, when you look at the success that the women's side had last year from start to finish, what an incredible run. You've got a match later today as well. What exactly do you see in, in being one of those secrets to the success that they have had? And the women's team is an interesting one. Just as a side note, um, uh, you know, the, everyone kind of thinks on some hand that uh, the, the women's sport is maybe a little bit more passive than the men's sport. Uh, Jade Kobasevich actually uh, got a 20-stitch uh, cut on her forehead last weekend uh, going up head-to-head with a player. So she probably won't be playing this weekend. But um, uh, you know, on the women's side, we've done very well. This year, we're actually in third place. Um, the, the season started a little earlier and will end a little earlier, which actually is good um, in a number of ways. We have so many girls playing at the, uh, at the college level, intercollegiate level, both in Canada and in the U.S. This means that we'll have them through the playoffs, where last year we didn't. And um, so top six teams go into a playoff round. And um, uh, But again, having a U21 program for us has been very valuable in that we now have, uh, if for some reason um, we need to fill that roster at the high level, we've got an entire stream of players to pull in. So the U21 program has been, has been great for us. And uh, yeah, on Sunday, we're, uh, we're 2 o'clock against North Mississauga, who unfortunately are in last place. They're having a very hard season. They actually are minus 77 on their goal differential. So we'll, uh, uh, we may be hearing the uh, London calling song a few times on, on on, uh, on Sunday, fingers crossed. Oh, boy. All right. Well, and then we look at the men's side, and it is always a, a big battle. And you look at how many teams exist now in League One Ontario. You're four and six on the year. What's been the story on the men's side? Yeah, it's been a tough road. I think um, CPL has uh, garnered a lot of interest uh, for players, realizing that there's now a professional pathway. A lot of the ones that were sort of doing their own thing, maybe playing rec, playing senior, are now going, wait a minute, if I get involved in League One, this is a pathway for me to potentially go pro. So we have seen, you're absolutely right, a huge jump in teams and participation. There's 16 teams this year. Uh, We are sort of middle of the pack with a lot of teams around us. Only the top make make the playoffs. The Woodbridge game tonight at 8 o'clock at Cove Road um, is going to be a really important because they're only one point ahead of us in the standings. So we'd love to leapfrog them and uh, continue that momentum through the end of the year into the playoffs. Um, otherwise, our season will be over three weeks from now. Well, you mentioned everything that's been going on with, with the CPL and how it's kind of really changing the landscape. 
we're sort of in the infancy of it, really. When you know, it just it's just starting. The CPL can continue to grow, and as that continues to grow, so, so does League One. So, is everyone sort of really optimistic and excited? Where you know, see where this ship heads them. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, the soccer conference that took place in London earlier this year, Jason DeVos was a, head, was a guest speaker. Bill Manning, the president of Toronto FC, was a guest speaker. I was on a panel with them. And what we really talked about is that the vision is not for let's fix it all in 2019, let's fix it all in 2020. They really have dangled a carrot out there with a, hey, by 2026, here's where we want to be. Let's align ourselves and move toward that goal. It's a very business-like approach. It's a very pragmatic approach to success, and I think it's something that everyone is sort of buying into, so that every decision is made uh, at the grassroots level all the way through to the management level is all with one goal in mind, and that let's make this better. Let's get Canada into the top 20, the top 10 uh, worldwide, like they are on the women's side, by 2026. So let's keep moving in that direction. So decisions are being made, um, and I think yeah, there's a level of enthusiasm in and around those decisions. Well, it's amazing to watch the way the sport has grown in this country, the attention it has been getting has always been there but now it's it's just heightened ian keep up the great work and we'll talk again soon sounds great thanks guys ian campbell ceo of fc london thanks to ian jake thanks to you have a great weekend we've got news coming up next this is global news radio 980 cfbl rafael nadal roger federer they're in the fourth set. Federer is up two sets to one. Rafael Nadal just survived two match points. And now Federer, even though Rafael Nadal won the last set, Federer can serve for a spot in the Wimbledon men's final. He's up right now in that set 5-4. So we'll keep tabs on that. You know what we haven't done, and we promised John we would. John called in a while ago and he said, can you get somebody on to explain the rules of tennis? You know what I wish? I wish Robin Williams was still alive for a lot of reasons. But he has the rules of golf that we can't play on the radio. But if you've ever seen, you know, creating golf, it's hilarious. He needed to do one for tennis because it's basically the same thing. So we'll have to do that at some point. Right now, well, grab a tennis racket or just put on some running shoes. Get out, get moving, because we are joined by Dr. Jane Thornton. And Dr. Thornton is becoming quite well known for a certain prescription that she is giving. And that prescription is physical activity. Dr. Thornton is somebody who has done some amazing things in her own athletic career. World champion rower, Olympian rower, was in the Olympics in 2008. So we're lucky to have her with us right now. Dr. Thornton, how are things? Good. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Do you miss rowing? You know, I still row. Good. <laughs> I'm still out on Fanshawe Lake. Uh, it's a different uh, feel right now because I'm helping develop uh, and help mentor the next generation of rowers. So uh, it's it's great to get out there almost every morning still. Well, that's excellent to know. Now, being a rower, people don't necessarily know. When you are a rower, you're getting up before the sun. I mean, your alarm's going off, what, a little after four most days? Right, exactly. And it, I mean, it's something learned. I wouldn't say I was a morning person before, but it's that whole accountability. You know that your teammates are there waiting for you or else they can't get out on the water. So it trains you to enjoy the early morning hours for sure. Do you still get up at 4 a.m. now? Uh, usually about 4.30, yeah. 
So uh, I still am a uh, yeah, I still am getting up early in the morning before work, before the kids wake up. So <laughs> Well, following your competitive career, if we can call it that, I mean, I don't know whether you're still competing now. Uh, not at the same level that I was. Certainly. Okay. Well, <laughs> following your your world-class competitive career, you actually put together a consensus statement on physical activity and a prescription for physical activity in 2016. And this is really starting to take off. Can we talk a little bit about what a consensus statement on physical activity is to begin with? Sure. I mean, it's uh, one of the amazing things in medicine, actually, is that, especially with regards to physical activity, is that... Uh, there really is a global consensus on how to do it right in terms of global guidelines put out by the WHO. Uh, really one of the standard bearers of this was the Canadian um, Society for Exercise Physiology who put a lot of research and investment into producing these worldwide accepted guidelines. So it's one of those things that internationally we agree on and therefore the consensus. Uh, it doesn't happen in all aspects of medicine to be sure, especially in regards to treatment and things like that. So for physical activity, though, we're pretty set on agreement across the board and what we can do for health, uh, for prevention, and also for treatment of a lot of chronic conditions. We can hear the term physical activity, and Dr. Thornton, it, it's difficult to know what that actually means. How specific do you get in terms of what physical activity is? Sure. I mean, there's a few different ways to talk about it, but the reason I like talking about physical activity over something like exercise is that it really is movement. It's moving the body. It's, it can be uh, sometimes as simple as gardening and, or dance or uh, moving around, going for walks, that kind of thing, uh, all the way up to, to competitive sport. So it really does involve and, uh, a lot of aspects of, of movement in particular. And I think the reason that resonates with people more so now than thinking about ex- exercise or fitness classes is that really that aspect of going from being a sedentary kind of sitting, uh, someone who's sitting all day essentially doing even a little bit of movement confers the most benefit. So it really is the biggest bang for your buck even to go from no physical activity to uh, incorporating some movement into our day. And that's where we're seeing the majority of health benefits. So I think it's just an easier way to to grasp that it's not something structured that we have to necessarily do in order to get the benefits for health. We're talking with Dr. Jane Thornton, who is someone who has spent countless hours on Fanshawe Lake being physically active. But if we go back to 2016, Dr. Thornton led the development of a consensus statement on physical activity. It's It's been endorsed by sport medicine societies in all kinds of countries. Now, I don't even know how many countries you're up to now for endorsements. We have it about 10 initially when we were putting this consensus, uh, consensus statement together was essentially having the uh, 10 top sport and exercise medicine societies agree that this is, uh, this is how we feel about physical activity and impact on chronic conditions and how we as clinicians can positively impact physical activity levels for our patients. So let's dig into that, because a lot of people can call themselves a patient. I think everybody can, a patient of a doctor, mm-hmm, and, and might hear, okay, well, let's, let's prescribe some physical activity. What does that mean? Does it vary from person to person, or can we put more of a, a set, here's what the human body needs? 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I, the human body is created for movement. I, I will say that up front, I was a, a sedentary teenager. I was a, not involved in sports at all in my childhood. I started rowing you know, around 14 or 15 years of age, and it completely changed my life path and career path, certainly. So, But I do still, those, those messages do resonate with me for the people that it's, it's hard to become active what do we aim for? What do we need to do for our health? And I think one of we've done some studies here in Toronto with some of my colleagues in terms of asking patients what they want to hear. And I think it's very well put that we, in fact, are all patients at one point or another. And a lot of patients do want specialized, personalized resources for them, especially in light of if they have a certain chronic condition, do they need to have limitations? Are there relatives or absolute contraindications for their participation in physical activity? In general, what the guidelines uh, are that I'm referring to uh, previously, that global consensus is really if we can hit about 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity per week, and that depends on what vigorous is for you. Certainly, there are uh, different limits for that. Um, it's about half an hour a day, if you can kind of think of it that way. If you can, It doesn't need to be all at once, broken up throughout the day, getting in some movement. That's essentially the, the top target for our health in order to have about a 30% decrease in overall morbidity and mortality, so from a, a range of chronic conditions. So it doesn't mean that we need to hit 150 right away, and certainly I would say to, to the inactive person to build up to that gradually over weeks involve your uh, your physician or or um, healthcare provider uh, but certainly that's a that's a way to start and uh, in context of different chronic conditions I think the one main message is even if you have if you have a stable chronic condition you're likely going to benefit from physical activity and uh, otherwise uh, it's one of those things to really contact your physician and understand how it would fit into your lifestyle and Dr. Thornton, finally, what do you expect someone who takes that advice, puts it to use, is getting those 150 minutes a week, however they may be getting them, what are they getting out of that? So it really depends on if they have a pre-existing chronic condition. So overall, we know that it is, as I mentioned, just that kind of 30% decrease in global kind of overall morbidity, mortality, uh, early morbidity and mortality reduction. So in, card- in terms of cardiovascular health, but really the big sell, I think, is for things that we previously didn't think about in terms of physical activity, that it's not only good for heart health, it's great for brain health in terms of uh, what we think about in terms of dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, those kinds of conditions. But it's also fantastic for mental health. So in terms of uh, a way of treatment for uh, certain conditions like anxiety, depression, there's certain ways uh, to to impact those as well. And also musculoskeletal health, I think in terms of falls prevention, ways to impact the health of older adults, keeping them at home longer and functionally independent. So it really uh, spans, uh, you know, from cradle to grave, essentially, uh, physical activity has benefits in different chronic conditions. So I think the main message is, even if you're not, uh, if you don't think of yourself as someone who's energetic or maybe you're struggling with a chronic condition, uh, it's still likely going to have some positive impact. And that would be a way to talk to your physician and have that type of prescription. It takes about 30 seconds to do it from the physician side of things to really have that encounter with them to positively impact your health. Dr. Thornton, keep up the great work. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Jane Thornton. Talking about prescribing physical activity, she 
led to the development of a consensus statement on physical activity and its prescription in 2016. And it's just one of those things that has so many benefits. doesn't matter what it is. You get up from your desk, walk for 10 minutes, three times a day. You got your 30 minutes. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll talk about what's coming next weekend. Home County Folk Festival. We'll talk with someone who is going to be performing at it. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The Home County Folk Festival comes up next weekend, July 19th to 21st. Delhi to Dublin is going to be there, and we are lucky enough to have with us the lead singer of Delhi to Dublin, Sanjay Saran, right now. Sanjay, how are things? Uh, things are good. Things are uh, sometimes hectic and sometimes pretty chill, and, you know, in the in the midst of releasing an album and trying to promoted in in an ever-changing quickly changing world that's i would say that's what the climate is like over here how many conversations do you have about doing just that okay here's what i think we should do in order to promote the album we should oh wait 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 maybe we should do this maybe how does that go i mean it seems like you've done this before (laughs) Uh, it's it's like daily man like it's all the time and always changing. You know, you, you set something up and then you're like ready to go and then there's something that throws a kink in it and you got to adapt and readjust and and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like a mess all the time. So you're just constantly having these conversations. Is it good to know that there probably isn't a right answer and eventually no matter what you do is better than not doing anything? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's nice to know that, you know, we, we've we been in the industry long enough and know enough people in the industry. It's not just us. Like, it's it's all. it seems to be everybody, and it seems to be at all levels. You know, like, we know some bands that have just blown up, and it's like they're just talking about the same thing. It doesn't. It's just the scale changes, but really the conversations are the same. There's frustrations on all kinds of levels. And I guess the commonality or the I guess the, the light at the end of the tunnel is that, you know, at the end of the day, we are all happiest when we are on stage performing or recording the songs, and then everything else is just like you got to slag it out and and put in those conversations, you know, and, and adapt because it is what it is. You know, you, you get an ad up on Facebook, for example, and then they change the algorithms on you the next day, and you're like, well, how do we? And you finally figure out how to utilize this in the best way and it's changed again so and you know that's not just us that's everyone kind of dealing with it so it's kind of nice to know everyone's in the same boat we're talking with sanjay saran who is the lead singer of delhi to dublin one of the things you always hear in the music industry is you've got to find a way to sound different than everybody else you guys do how how do you think you've managed that (laughs) you know okay yeah, you find a way to sound different than everyone else, and then you're like, oh, you're too different. We're not going to play you on radio. And you're like, oh, okay. So, you know, yeah, we fell into that category of being different, and then, and now we've written an album that is a pop album, not not because of these, not because we were trying to be like everyone else, but it's just, I think, as songwriting progresses, it's almost like a, it's a linear progression where the better your songs become, the more popular they, be, they become because you're just writing catchier things, you know? And in terms of us, we we were different in the beginning just because of our different backgrounds. Like, we came together as a collaboration. You know, this wasn't a band that started it as a high school garage band, and we all have the same vision. It was, uh, hey, we're going to collaborate for Celtic Festival. Um, you know, someone called me up, T called me up, and was like, hey, can you do some, check out this beat. I'm going to send you a beat, and 
can you do something for it and come on, you know, we're doing a little performance. You could do like a two minute piece in Punjabi and come on and do it. And I'm like, ah, oh, cool. So I sent them something. And, you know, so that was, I was coming from like a Punjabi pop, a West coast Canadian Punjabi pop background, which is pretty unique in itself. And then, you know, T was an underground electronic DJ spinning, you know, Asian underground music and electronic stuff. Uh, there was Irish dancers and fiddlers that day. So that, that aspect was there because it was for Celtic Festival, and that was the only reason that Irish aspect was there. But the whole the project worked, you know. And then uh, soon after, uh, I invited Ravi Binning, who's still, you know, he, he was one of the beginning members, uh, and he, he played dole. So he, brought, he was bringing a very, very traditional Punjabi sound with crazy energy. To, to the live show, and then Andrew Kim joined, who was playing uh, guitar, who was very, I mean, he's a Korean sitar and guitar player, who plays, he plays multi-instruments, actually, who is coming from, his guitaring was influenced by African music, so he played a lot of, like, West African Mali-type music on guitar, played an electric sitar, which he went to India to learn, um, he grew up playing classical music and was also like, you know, listened to like Pink Floyd. So you like add that into the mix and it's like, that's, that's why we were what we were at that time, because we really did all just come from different backgrounds and we're bringing really different musical tastes into this project. And then over time, I guess, you know, we became a band and then we've become, you know, a much more cohesive unit since then. And now, now we are what we are. It's just its own thing. Well, you're playing the Home County Music and Art Festival here in London on Sunday, July the 21st, so we'll look forward to that. Now, when you played that first festival together, did you guys even have a name? No. The name of the night was Delhi to Dublin, and it was a week-long festival. Celtic Fest is a week-long festival that happens in Vancouver. Um, The DJ Collective was hired to play the party night, and they named the night Delhi to Dublin because it sounded cool. And it made sense. And, they, you know, they were playing around with different names. And initially, they came up with Bombay to Belfast. And they were like, whoa, no, no, we can't have Bomb and Belfast in the same, in the same <laughs> title. Just, you, know, that, you know, it's funny, but it's not, right? Like, yeah, no, then, it makes then, sense. Yeah, so they're like, oh, Delhi to Dublin. You know, everyone loves alliteration. And so what happened was we got hired to, after that collaboration, people were like, hey, we want that, that project to come and play. So we just adapted the name of the night, and it became the Delhi to Dublin project. And then the band just became called, you know, just by that point was Delhi to Dublin. We just kept the name. Well, they've got an album coming out. We got this, and they will be in London later in July. Uh, let's let's look at what making music has become because you do you do so much. You work so hard in order to get to this point to try and get an album done to get noticed. Is there ever a time when you sit back and go, "Wow, look at what we've done," or or do you not let yourself do that? I think you do, especially now. Like we've we've been around for 14 years now. So when you look back and you talk, you know, we we have we have a lot of conversations with our agent and being like, and they're always like that same sort of frustrated. Like we want to get to this level, and he'll look back and be like, guys, you've had such a crazy career. It's been pretty awesome. One, you're still around 14 years later. Not a lot of bands have done that. Two, we've made a living playing music. You know, so it's like. When you do look back, you're like, whoa, okay, we've we've done some stuff. Like, you know, making m- m- full-time careers out of music, that's probably like 1% of all musicians can say they've done that. So that's huge. We, we have. But then 
you know, if you sit back and just be like, oh, man, we're awesome, we're great, like, then then what? You know, so we kind of, we're still hungry, always wanting to grow, and I think that was a huge reason why we did want to to learn more, and, and it ended up writing an album that was a pop album so that we could learn something different, different than the world we we lived in, you know, before. We've We've been in the electronic world. We've done a lot of festival playing in the jam band world and really wanted to just, like, take this to more people and and that's what that's what we consciously decided to do well we I wish you the is great that's right well we wish you the best of luck with the new album can't wait to see you in london thanks so much for spending some time with us on london live right on thanks for having me sanjay saran of delhi to dublin we'll close up the show next this is global news radio 980 cfpl Thank you so much to all of our guests today. Thank you to Kelly Wong for her help. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy what is left of Rock the Park and FC London and the London Majors. News is on the way next. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. Jacqueline LaBelle, Matt Trevithick taking over, and John Wilson will tell us what's ahead in the forecast as well. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.